Good morning, Rolling Hills. I love seeing all those Hawaiian shirts out there today. That's awesome. My name is Mark Couchet. I'm the executive pastor here. I'm also one of the staff elders. And today is one of my most favorite things to do is get to send a team out uh, on the mission field. And so today we're going to be commissioning a team that's going to Ecuador to build a playground uh, through kids around the world. And if you're wondering what that looks like, we just built one this last week that's down by uh, where the garden used to be. But Zach is over our CGO missions team. And Zach, won't you tell everybody a little bit what you guys are going to be doing this coming week? Well, I think you told everyone one of the big things, which is that we're going to be playing a, building a playground and maybe playing on it too. Who knows? Um, but we've, been go we've gone there two years in a row. And our goal is to continue to build a relationship with one of the pastors in the community. And so one of the, we will be building a playground, but it's in connection with the ministries that he has. And so the goal is to help support the outreaches that he has in the community. So the churches or the communities around there are looking to the ministry that he's doing and saying, oh man, these people, they really love our kids. These churches, they really care about my kids. And I, I feel like I say this probably every year when we're getting ready, but it's like one of the ways that you can really show me that you love me <laughs> is by loving my kids well. And so this church gets to provide these safe places for kids to play, which we kind of take for granted because we've got like parks every five minutes around here, but in there that's not necessarily the case in Ecuador. And so by building these playgrounds, we're providing a safe place for these kids to play. And it's uh, really bolstering the ministry impact of the churches in that area. So I know Mark, you wanted to pray for us or something yes, like absolutely. that? Uh, so before we pray, who's, Who's, uh, is this their first mission trip? Outstanding. Outstanding. All right, if you could all stand and just raise your hand as we pray and commission this group to go out. Lord, we thank you so much for this team that's assembled before you. And uh, we're so happy that we get to send them out as the hands and feet of Jesus, Lord. During this trip, we just allow you to open those doors, remove any hurdles, Lord. Keep them safe. Most of all, allow them to experience co-laboring with others around the world, Lord. We thank you for our partnership with all these people in this church and kids around the world. And we officially commission them to go out to be your hands and feet. We ask all of this in your precious, precious name. Amen. Tomorrow, we have, I think, 90 high schoolers taken off for camp. And um, so, yeah. So that's going to be a great week and be praying for them. Be praying that they have an incredible time and that the Holy Spirit just really um, works in the lives of these students. And uh, be praying for all the adults who are going and um, maybe more for them. Uh, but I also want you to know of an opportunity. If you have like the last day or two of July and the first couple of days of August kind of free and you have PTO or, or you're just not doing um, something, you can have an eternal impact by going to middle school or junior high camp. Um, and so we need a couple more men and a couple more women to go. And if you've gone the past, man, um, you know what a great week it is. And if you haven't gone in the past, uh, we are offering... Uh, uh, you two join us. And so you can let, you can write it on your, on your communication card. I'm interested. 
um, put down uh, your contact information. We'll get a hold of you. Um, probably you'd be a co-leader in a small group. And so you're not alone where you have to, you know, it's like it's all up to you, but you actually get to just, you know, listen and watch and, um, and just be there to help, uh, help these kids have a wonderful week. And so if you're interested in that, let us know on your, um, just use a communication card there and uh, drop it in one of those boxes on the way out and that'll get to us. Or talk to Angie McKay or Donna Houchet, if you know who they are, and, uh, and they'll get you all signed up. All right, um, gosh, it was nice having you know an extra hour for me. For you, you 11 o'clock, you had to get here on time, or an hour early. But, um, and you're finding out who sits in your seats during the other <laughs> gathering. I mean, it's like, what is, it's, it's kind of like the multiverse is happening. We're having these universes coming together. Um, but uh, anyway, it's great to see you, great to have you here. And um, stick around and enjoy the food carts and bounce houses and, um, and those things afterwards. And we'll uh, just have a good family time together. Okay, so we are in um, the book of Genesis, and the book of Genesis teaches us so much. As we go through this, what we're trying to do is saying, what is this saying about God? Like, what are we learning about God as we read these stories? And, and what are we learning about ourselves and how we are to function with God? And the Old Testament is so uh, wonderful in the sense that it's teaching us through real life stories, history. And, um, and to see how God weaved his plan into, into history and how people responded and how, I mean, more often than not, we're reading how people ignored God and had a hard time trusting him. But then we are learning about the ongoing patience and the grace and mercy of God being extended to people over and over again, even in, in, in you know, in spite of who we are, in spite of us just kind of messing things up. And uh, so I love Genesis because I'm going, you know, God can use people like me and working people like me. And uh, instead of looking at this and going, why is this in the Bible? Because they should not, you know, share these embarrassing things. Um, uh, it's actually such an encouragement. It's like, thank you, God, for being uh, a God who's real and works in the lives of real people. And uh, again, we're, we're in that, we're, we're in a part of Genesis where God has um, promised Abraham, which is uh, the father of most world religions today. People who would count themselves religious, uh, either um, Christian, Jewish, Muslim, they would all point to Abraham as one of their founders of their faith. Okay, and so we're reading about Abraham and God coming to him and saying, through your descendants, I will bless the world. And that is ultimately fulfilled in that one of his descendants would be Jesus Christ, who would offer salvation to all who would trust in who he is and what he did. And so that's where we, we're 25 years into that promise. And now Abraham is an old man, an old man, 100 years old. They lived longer then, so 100 then isn't quite 100 today, but it's not far off, okay? And his wife, who's 90, has never been able to have a child. And, um, 
And God's saying, hey, through the two of you, I'm going to birth this nation. And so that's tough. That's tough for them to believe. Now we're at chapter 21. Chapter 21, verse 1. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age. Not, he wasn't born old, but he's talking about Abraham being old. At the time of which God had spoken to him, and Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Isaac means laughter. I just love that. You know, you think, um, you think of the miracle that just happened here. And oftentimes you think of the miracle of God gave um, Sarah, who has you know, gone through all the hot flashes and has come out the other side, and God has given her an egg. And um, that's a miracle. But a greater miracle is that she was able to have a child in her womb grow without killing her. You know, she was old, you know, her tendons and, and ligaments and muscles were not as nimble and flexible as they used to be. And so God did a miracle in her to not only have her conceive a child, but to be able to birth a child. And so um, Sarah's laughing. And, and she's laughed before, but before she was laughing more at God. And now she's laughing at the goodness of God. This is just, this is just too mind-blowing to believe. And we talked about it before, but it's a point that we just need to keep coming back to. And the first point today is why we need to trust God's plans over our own is because God's plans are supernatural. God's plans are supernatural, which... Um, just that right there makes it hard for me to trust God's plans. Because I can trust things much easier if I can control them. If I can say, okay, um, let me take this. I believe in you, God, but I think I can get some things done for you. And I can trust that plan. You know, God can work through my efforts when I take control. And God's saying, uh, no, lay your efforts aside. I mean, lay them before me as an altar and saying, um, God, I want you to do in me and through me things that I could never do. I can never control. And because you're a God who can do that. And so I'm choosing to trust you and for you to work supernaturally versus myself in what I can do through natural processes. And if you remember Abraham and Sarah, Sarah gave up on, on the supernatural work of God. And she just said, hey, uh, yeah, God's made this promise. Okay, let's make it happen. And so she said to Abraham, hey, if you sleep with my maidservant, um, Hagar, you could have a child through her and thus fulfill the promise of God. And so he did, and she hated him for it. And she hated Hagar, and she hated the, the son, Ishmael, that Hagar birthed. And th th there's a picture of our spiritual journey of saying, okay, God, thank you for forgiving me, for extending your grace for me, and now here's what I plan to do for you. 
and God's saying, I don't want your plans. I want you aligned to my plans. And so that's just not instantly saying, okay, God, talk to me about your plans. It's saying, God, okay, you've revealed some of your plans already. And so let me learn about who you are and what you're doing. And I'm going to, I'm going to join you and follow you in your work. Because it's easy just to say, God, I trust you, but I'll take it from here, and will you bless my plans? And that is not a life of faith. That's a normal life. That's a natural life. That's the life that Sarah was thinking, well, we got to pull this off for God. And through natural processes, and that only caused pain. It only caused frustration. It only caused more problems for Sarah when she thought she was going to solve a problem by not following and waiting on God. She created problems. And it was more problems that, you know, and we, we you know, say this all the time, but we have the power to make decisions. But then the power of the, of the consequences of those decisions are not in our hands to control. And so God's saying, trust me, trust me. And it's a big step because it's out of your ability to control and manipulate your future. But know who I am, know who I say you are, and know about my plans and align to them. And then see what I'm going to do in you. And we have a hard time with that. And, and really, it's because it's the vulnerability of hope. It's saying, if I'm going to trust that God can transform me, then I am, uh, I'm going to trust that he can do something in and through me that I can't do myself. And I'm afraid to, to trust him with that. I'm afraid to have hope because I'm just going to be disappointed. And God says, have the faith to trust me. Have the faith to trust me. Have the faith to learn about me and, and experience me in your own life and see what I do. See if I, my promises will not come true in your life. And, and that's a tough one for us. Um, so let's make this personal. In your own life, um, are you willing to trust God? Not, in the, not just intellectually, I believe there's a God, I believe he died on the cross, I want to go to heaven, and so yes, I ask for forgiveness. Okay, that's an intellectual exercise. But he's saying, no, I want you to trust me with your life. It means I'm trusting in you alone, for not only for my salvation, but for my transformation. And so I want to follow you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to learn about what you, you're doing and who you say I am and how it looks like to live a life of faith. And I'm going to trust you, which means I take my plans that I want you to bless and I say, I lay them down. If you don't want those plans, take them away. And I, because I want your plans. And sometimes he takes them away. Sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes your plans are fine. And sometimes he modifies them. But he's always working on our hearts, our attitudes, our perspectives, and transforming them so that no matter what direction we go and what decisions we make, who we're taking with us in those decisions is a person who's being transformed. And so 
That is, um, that's the question. Um, and so we've talked about this before. It's like the amazement of the good news of Jesus and the difficult, difficulty people have in trusting it is not because he's promising too little. It's because he's promising too much. It's just too good for my mind to wrap around. It's just too good for me to trust fully because I'm trusting in a God and what he's doing fully instead of what I can do for him. And that, you know, that's grace, is God does stuff for us that we can't do ourselves and that we don't deserve. That's grace. But we feel much more comfortable if God let me prove to you how good I can be. And that's taking things into my own hands in my own natural resources, and that's not a life of faith. Let me talk about the gospel a little bit. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, promises that there is a future world and heaven, and you can begin to experience that heaven today when we recognize that those things are gonna be the ultimate fulfillment of our wildest dreams and desires. The things that we're chasing today, you know, we chase with, with our passion and with our whole heart because we are trying to meet deep-seated needs in us. And maybe I'm chasing this so I can prove to myself that I'm of value and worth. I can prove to myself and to others that I am worthy of being loved. I can prove to myself that, that I'm worth listening to and being an influencer in, in, in the world around me. And so we're going after those wholeheartedly because of the deep needs in our heart that we want fulfilled. And God says, ultimately, I'm gonna prepare a place for you where all those are perfectly met in my presence. And we think about you know, eternity in heaven, we think, well, it's in clouds with little you know, fat angels playing harps, and it's not super attractive to me. Well, God created this heaven, uh, this earth um, perfect, and he created us to fully enjoy it and be in harmony with it and, and in harmony with God. And so um, we're gonna have a new heaven and a new earth, and I think it's gonna be very physical. I think it's going to be um, like the best of this uh, to beyond our imaginations. And so the things that we are enjoying, it's, it's just a glimpse of the things that we will enjoy when it's perfected in his presence and we're at harmony with him, who we were created to be in harmony with, and each other. And so that's the future that he says he holds for us if we're willing to trust him in what he's done for us to be reconnected to him. And so it speaks to our deepest needs. And the good news of Jesus is in spite of our flaws, in spite of the way we've disappointed ourselves, in spite of the way that we've hurt other people that we care for and love. Um, and that separates us from God. In spite of all that, God says, I'm making a way for you to be forgiven that's gonna punch a hole between the, the gap that stands before, you know, between reality and what I hope for. Reality and what's real in the presence of God. And he's punched a hole in the gap that says, now you can begin experiences because of what I've done for you. And so the goodness of God is because he's done things that are supernatural that only God can do that we can't. 
And that's what he offered to Abraham and Sarah, and they had a hard time getting their, hand, their head around it because of all those natural things in us that doubt, that, that just say, if I can't do it, I don't trust that it can be done. And so, are you willing to embrace the goodness of God? I mean, to realize that, you know, every day you have a chance to walk in the presence of God, he's with you, and you get to embrace the reality of that. You will never be alone. And he guides you, and he's talking to you, and, and, and if, if we can learn to listen to him, he will guide us through this fog of life that can be so confusing and say, I'm going to do things in you that you didn't imagine that could be done because they couldn't be done in and of yourself. So are you willing to trust me? Can you believe that? You'll never walk alone. And, and God will do substantive changes of transformation in your life. Okay, verse 7. And she said, um, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne a son in this old age. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham had a great feast on, the day, on that day that, or the day that Isaac was weaned. And so it was kind of a birthday party that um, Isaac was now a toddler, and they're throwing a party for him, and it's a great celebration. I mean, God went to this guy in Babylon who was an idol-worshiping guy and gave him this promise, and that was Abraham. And now here, 25 years later, it's a reality. And, the, and there's, they're blown away at the miracle they've seen God do. But there's a party buster and, uh, in verse 9. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham. And he saw, her, he saw him laughing. I, I think he was mocking. I think he was bullying. You know, here for, for 14 years, Ishmael was the only son of Abraham who was promised a great nation was going to come out of his descendants. And so Ishmael and his mother, Hagar, had to be thinking, that's us. I mean, look at Sarah. I mean, she is dried up and she's not having any kids. You know, she, she's, it, it's not happening for Sarah. And so it's gotta be you, Ishmael. And now they see this miracle happen. And now their whole thinking is what in the heck's going on? And Ishmael's not happy. Hagar's not happy. And so Ishmael starts bullying little Isaac and Sarah sees it. Verse 10, so Sarah said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman and her son. Doesn't even use their names. Cast out this slave woman and her son. For the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And so um, Mama Bear's fuming. And, and she's saying, my little boy, promised boy that I never thought I would have, who now God has miraculously given to us, is being picked on. Well, yes, he's the product of my idea. Um, but that doesn't matter right now. Right now is he um, is a bully. And I want him away from my son. Not just for today, but forever. So here's the second thing, is why do we need to trust God's plan over our own? Well, God's plan is always, God's plan always have what's right in mind. And we don't. I mean, when it comes to justice, 
you know, God says, you know, leave that into my hands. Now, we, we have courts of law, and we, and, we, and we have the right to pursue justice through courts. Um, but ultimately, that doesn't guarantee us justice. And so God says, ultimately, you have to trust in me and say, um, you're the God of justice. You see it all. You see the whole truth. You, you see exactly what's going on in this world. And so I'm going to trust justice in your hands. And in the meantime, I know that justice for everything is not mine. I, I'm not going to try to do it because my justice is um, really tainted by my perspective. And I don't know everything. And, and usually when you know, something happens to me, I want justice and I'm, and I'm viewing the situation through the intentions, the good intentions within me and the actions versus somebody else's actions. That making sense? And so it's, it's always going to sway in my way. I mean, it's always going to look like, okay, this, this should happen this way for me. And in this dispute, the other person's messed up. And so God, listen to me. And God's saying, hey, I actually do see everything well. I do know people's hearts. I do know people's actions. And ultimately, uh, everybody's going to stand before me. Everybody's going to stand before me. And justice will be served. And so trust me because everything God does is right. It says he's a righteous God. It means everything he does is right, which is pretty incredible. And we don't see that. I mean, we just see injustice everywhere in this world. And part of our hope is we worship a God who says, one day, I'm going to bring justice. I'm going to bring justice. And so everything he does is right. Is right. So um, Sarah's fuming, cast out, cast out this woman and her son. Verse 11, and the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. And so here's, Sarah had done this before. Sarah, 15 years earlier, when, when Hagar got pregnant by Abraham as a result of Sarah saying, hey, this is a plan that we could do to carry out the plan of God. And so she took things into her own hands. Abraham did it, and, um, and it was a bad plan. And as soon as it happened, uh, Sarah said, I hate this. This was totally wrong. I hate that you did it, Abraham. And now I hate that Hagar's pregnant, and I hate the child in her, and I want her gone. And booted her. But booted this, this pregnant um, uh, maidservant of of Sarah and booted her into the wilderness and she was walking in the wilderness and headed towards Egypt and probably wasn't going to make it, probably die before that happened. And, um, and Abraham let it happen. He said, okay, you know, it was your idea, but if this is what you want now, go for it. He didn't learn the thing. But this time he goes, uh, hey, I, I don't think we should do that. All of a sudden he's being a dad. And saying, I have a responsibility here. And there's a son that I've helped raise because that's the way to honor God in following through on a mistake that I made. But this little guy is not a mistake. And so I'm following through, and I love this guy. And so he, he defends his son in this relationship with the son 
that he loves. Now, verse 12, God intervenes. Okay, God intervenes. But God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever says, Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. It's like, whoa, what? Here's the, here's the clincher, though. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named, and I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. He's saying, um, Abraham, I release you from this commitment, and Hagar's going to be fine. I, I, I'm going to make sure of it. In fact, I'm going to make a great nation out of his descendants. And so I'll take care of him. And so it's fine for you to let go because I have a plan for you through your son, Isaac. And so you can let it know. Now, now that's, a, that's a supernatural um, word from God to Abraham, and there's no doubt about it. Um, this is not a thing where I can, oh, I can let go of my responsibilities and leave my family because God said so. No, God, God tells you you have responsibility to your family and you're to invest in them and to care for them. And that's your responsibility. And, um, and it's not your responsibility to run away. That's being irresponsible in the eyes of God. But God, in his redemptive plan for the world, had a plan through the line of Abraham and he said, Abraham, you focus on that line, and I'm freeing you up from Hagar and um, Ishmael. Thank you. And because um, I've got him, I'm going to take care of him. And he had promised that 15 years ago. And he's just re, um, reminding Abraham of it and saying, because of that promise right now, you can let him go. Verse 14, so Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and skin water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And so um, that had to be a tough morning for Abraham. You know, you just think of the emotion um, in him, in Hagar, uh, in Ishmael. And so he took care of him as best he could. And I'm sure there were tears shed. And he said, I'm going to choose to trust you, God, instead of trusting what I want. To say that you trust God and then want your way and your plans is impossible. You because know, trusting God means we actually follow him. And it's not trusting God, and now that you're in my life, God, let's go, follow me. And that's how we treat God often. That's how we think about God. Occasionally call on God when our plans are going south and say, God, rescue me. And God's saying, trust me. And do you even know what that means? Well, you need to start learning to know me. Not who you think I am, who somebody else thinks I might be, but who I say I am. So start to know me. 
as I've revealed myself in the Bible. And then follow me. And Abraham does it. I mean, not a lot of a great track record for Abraham. But this time he does a very difficult thing. It's time to let your plans go, Abraham. Trust me. I've got Ishmael. It's okay. Trust me. Um, to experience God's promises, we have to let go of our plans. Uh, plans for our time, plans for our energy, plans for our treatment of others, plans for our relationships, plans how I want all those things to work. And, God, and, and then it says, okay, uh, instead I'm going to trust you, God, which means how do you want me to invest my time? What goals do you want me to have that are aligned with who you want me to be? How do you want, to treat, how do you want me to treat people around me? How do you want me to handle relationships? And I follow your plans instead of mine. And Hagar leaves with Ishmael and she wanders in the desert. The two of them wander in the desert for several days. They don't know where to go. Um, and as a mom, she's at the end of her rope. Their supplies have run out. They're exhausted. Everything's been stripped away. And they lay down and wait to die. In verse 17, and God heard the voice of the boy and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you? Now I'm thinking, duh, like how insensitive is that God? But you know what he's doing? He's going, Hagar, remember we've been here before. You know, 15 years ago when you were um, single and, and pregnant and wandering in the desert and thinking that the only thing that lied ahead was your death. And I came to you and I made a promise to you about your unborn son, that I was gonna protect you and him and I was gonna make him into a great nation. And I, you're in my hands, I hear you and I see you. And she named her son Ishmael which means God sees, he sees, he hears. I am seen and heard by God. And so she's blown away by that, but she doesn't put her trust in him because she, she's forgotten who he was. She's forgotten what the promise was and she didn't have any trust in that promise. But God says, hey, um, we've been here before. What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Back in chapter 17, God heard her and he cared for her. Now, um, what's interesting to this, in this right here to me, is that uh, Hagar is Egyptian. She's not a Hebrew. She's not in the line of God's promise. She's not in the line of the descendants of Abraham who are God's people to reflect his glory to the world around us and through whom he'll bring the savior of the world. Um, she's an Egyptian. She is probably a idol worshiping person. She is not a God fearing person, even though God's given her a promise. 
She's a woman. She's a slave. I mean, she's a woman in a world of a primogenitor culture, which means not only was um, the males elevated above the value of a woman, but also the firstborn male was, about, was elevated above all else. Um, and here's Hagar, an Egyptian, unbelieving, a woman, a slave. And God hears her and sees her and cares for her. Now, what's interesting to this is the heart of God is a heart that cares for all people. Not just ones who are choosing to trust him. You know, here's a woman who doesn't trust him. And yet God hears her situation and cares for her plight and speaks to her and gives her another opportunity to trust him. But even if she doesn't, he's going to still care for her child. That's the goodness of God. That's the goodness of God's plans. He has a heart for all people. He cared every, every person was created in his image. And God sees value and worth in them. And his heart is for them. Now, I want to connect you to who this um, story, that this piece of history was first being communicated to. It was Moses writing out the history of his people while he's wandering in the wilderness with the descendants of Abraham. And so the descendants of Abraham are learning about who they are, but they're also learning about Hagar and Ishmael, who are slaves and who are in a desert and they're wandering and they're not sure what's happening. And that trauma is something that Moses' people that he's writing, who are reading this letter for the first time, this, this document for the first time in history, they're going, uh, I can relate to Hagar. Because we're, we're wandering in the wilderness. We're going to a land that, we're, that God's promised us, but we don't have yet. And so it's trusting in the supernatural work of God. And that's hard to do. But also they've recently experienced a miracle because they were slaves in Egypt and God uh, miraculously freed them. And so now they're wandering in this wilderness and now they're hearing about their history as a people. Um, the reason that they were saved is because God says, said, I'm going to do a miracle in Egypt. It's going to be... Um, it's going to be a disaster. It's going to be a catastrophe. It's, it's going to be a terrible thing. But it's in order to wake up Pharaoh to, to the, the, the evil he's doing to you, my people. And so what you need to do, you need to take a perfect unblemished lamb and you need to slaughter it. And take the blood from that lamb and paint the top of your doors with that blood. And then I'm going to send the angel of death throughout the land and for everybody who has sacrificed a lamb and his blood 
is over the door. I'm going to pass over that home. The angel of death will pass over that home and you'll be saved. And that's what happened. And that and that's how they were ultimately freed from captivity. Now, hundreds of years later, all the descendants of Abraham began to celebrate that and remember that and remember the faithfulness, the supernatural faithfulness of God in extending grace by giving freedom to their descendants through the blood of a lamb. And so that was what was called Passover. And so, so Jews to this day celebrate Passover, which is remembering the freedom that God allowed them to have from Egypt when they were enslaved. And, and the blood of the lamb was over the doorpost. About 1,500 years forward, after um, that event happened in Egypt, Jesus was born. Jesus celebrated Passover. He celebrated Passover the night he was arrested, the day before he was crucified. He was in the upper room with his followers, and they had a Passover Seder that Jesus was leading. And Jesus was leaving, leading this Passover, remembering the sacrificial blood of the lamb that had to die to save Abraham's descendants. And he knows just hours from now, he's going to be that sacrificial lamb. And his blood is going to be what offers salvation to anybody who trusts in what he's done. And so he's leading the disciples through this Passover Seder. And as you go through the Seder, um, Seder means in order. And so it's the same way every time. And so you, um, as you're having the meal, you're reading some Psalms. After the meal, you read some more Psalms. And Jesus is reading them and is talking about, um, you know, it's a Psalm of David talking about it. In my, in my misery, you saw me. As I cried out to you, facing death, God, you are faithful to me. And Jesus is reading that going, I'm facing death. And I'm going to cry out to you on the cross. And this is, one, this is one of the only times in history that you will not hear. Because you want everybody else to hear. Because I'm the sacrificial lamb. I'm going to have the sins of the world put on me as a substitute for the sins of, the, for the sins of others. So that others might be forgiven and saved. And so in that Passover Seder, um, you drink four different cups during the Seder at four different times. And each time it's symbolizing something about the Passover, um, the, the miracle that freed the Jews from Egypt. The third cup Jesus takes that night and he says, um, I'm changing the meaning. This cup no longer symbolizes the freedom given to you because of the sacrifice of the blood of the lamb. But this cup now symbolizes the freedom given to you because of my sacrifice, the perfect lamb of God that offers to take away the sins of the world. And he said, drink this in remembrance of me. 
before he was arrested, before he was killed, before he resurrected, he, he ended one covenant and he began a new one. We will no longer need to sacrifice a perfect lamb to atone for our sins because the perfect lamb is being sacrificed in your presence for all eternity. And he said in Matthew chapter 26, verse 27 and 28, and he took a cup and when he had given thanks, and that was the fourth cup of the Passover Seder, he said, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, a new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. So in a second, we are going to have an opportunity to, uh, to take communion. A little cracker, a little juice. It, it represents the body of Christ and the blood of Christ that was shed for us. And so when he says remember, what are we to remember? Well, we're to remember, first of all, that uh, what Christ, who he was and what he did for us 2,000 years ago changes everything for us today. We are offered freedom from being separated from God. We are offered freedom from the judgment that should come to us because of our selfishness, our pride, our sin. We're offered companionship with the God of the universe who says you will never be alone and if you just understand who I am, you also have a new identity because you are known and loved by God. Never of loan, always of value. And so today is a good day. Today is a day to be grateful for because the supernatural work of God is being carried out and his plans are always good. And we can trust him. Let's bow our heads and pray. And then we'll make our way to the bread and the cup. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We uh, confess that most of the time, we still trust ourselves more than you. We, uh, we want to do our things our way in a way that we think will bring about the results that we can manipulate. And yet so many times we're left with greater pain, greater heartache, greater disappointment, often abandoned. And Father, as we remember you today, we remember the sacrifice that you gave of yourself, holding nothing back so that we might be forgiven by you and brought into your family. And so as we take this bread and cup, um, we just humbly lay our plans out before you and say, God, not my will, but your will. And I want to follow you. Thank you for your love. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.
as we uh, listen to the music, you can come forward when you're ready. Uh, there's also tables in the back, and I believe there's a couple on the sides that um, you can get the bread and the cup from.